podcast from the Sunday night service at New Life Church. The Sunday night service reflects a desire to be rooted in the historic expressions of faith while engaging God with our whole being in the world today. For more information on New Life Church, you can visit our website at newlifechurch.org. Well, hi, how are you, everybody? You good? So we're in this series called Treasure, and uh, if you're a little bit like how I uh, am, you know, maybe even while those scriptures are being read, you're sort of, you know, you feel your breath getting shorter and tighter, and ten- your muscles are tensing up, and you're like, here we go, money and church, here we go, you know, and I, I get that. I'm like you. That, to be honest with you, if I can be vulnerable just for a moment, this is the very first time I've ever taught on money. First time. And... Um, and it's a stretch for me. It's uncomfortable because I don't like to talk about things that are sort of like, well, you know, hey, this is, this is kind of sensitive. And, and you know, the, the best way to end a dinner party with friends is start talking about salaries and money and how much you have in savings and all this stuff. That's a quick way to end some friendships. You know, usually this is stuff that even good friends don't cross these lines. We don't want to hear about that. Or you, maybe you, you know friendships that have sort of been burned when someone said, hey, let me, you know, could you give me this money or lend me this amount of money or whatever. And that sort of is the thing that sort of starts to unravel our, our friendships, our relationships. So to think that we come in church and we say, okay, here we go, we're going to do the series talking about treasure and money and stuff, it's like, gee, oh, really? You know, why? Why are we talking about this? Well, the biggest reason we're talking about this is because Jesus did. And Jesus did a lot. And for Jesus, money was not an end in, an end in itself. It was not this, hey, let's just talk about money so we can get more coins in the purse or the money bag, whatever. For Jesus, the, the, the thing about money is that it is the biggest indicator of where our heart is. Uh, in fact, this, this key verse for our series has been where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so there's something about the way we spend it or the way we hold on to it or the way that we're, we give it or the way that we're reluctant with it, the way that, you know, there's something about how we handle money that reveals our heart. It sort of betrays what we value and betrays what we really care about. So in a sense, this series is not really a series about stuff or about money. It's really a series about our hearts and about where our heart is, and who has our hearts, and, and, and what things have a hold on us, or if greed has sort of started to creep in or not, or if we're really free or open-handed, or if we've kind of got ourselves into trouble or whatever. Now, last week, I, I talked to you about um, this, you know, the, the unspeakable word in church, you know, tithe, and the word that we're saying, yeah, let's not talk about that, and that's Old Testament, and that's law, and all this stuff, and so I just want to recap because I spent about 20 minutes last week kind of recapping this thing about Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant, and, 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 and maybe dispelling, for some of you, dispelling some myths or misconceptions that you've had about it. Because depending on how you grew up, you might have grown up hearing that, hey, look, you know, the Old Testament was just all this stuff and the law was just there to frustrate people and the law was there to show them that they couldn't do it on their own and they could never earn favor with God because of the law. And so the law was just there to show them that they couldn't do it. And then, and then Jesus shows up and says, hey, look, I got good news. I don't care about the law anymore. And this is sort of, we wouldn't say it this way, but this is kind of our impression of the gospel. The problem with such an impression of the gospel is it, does, it creates a few problems. One, it makes us really uneasy about the Old Testament. We're like, well, I don't really know what to do with it. You know, like, gee, you know, does God, did God change his mind about that stuff? You know, it also brings up questions like, well, if he didn't care about the law, why'd you waste 4,000 years with it? You know, what, what's the deal here? Or, or 2,500 2, years with it? You know, what, what, what's, the, what's going on? What's the story? 
Uh, it also makes it seem like God's kind of just trying solutions. Like uh, ever since the Garden of Eden, he was like, well, I don't know, let's try this one. Well, that didn't work. How about a flood? Okay, kill everyone. Start. Okay, how about, uh, let's see, Abraham. I'll choose, you know. And then and it, all, it, it makes it seem like God is just sort of this you know, card table dealer that's like, oh, that didn't work? Okay, let's try this one. Okay, hey, Jesus, the ace up the sleeve. You know, would you just, you know? And that's not it. And if that is our view, then we've got a severely disconnected thing with the Bible. And then, if you, you know, when a, when a journalist or like a skeptic asks you, hey, how come you guys still care about this moral issue in the Bible, but you guys dismiss the dietary stuff? And you eat shrimp, but you care about, you know what I'm talking about. So, why is that? And, and we say, ah, uh, I don't know, and just because, and the pastor says... And unless we have this holistic kind of framework for how to think through the Bible and see the unity of the story. And so I just want to take a few moments and briefly recap this, okay? When, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and they turned their back on him, God immediately came looking, right? He said, Adam, where are you? Immediately starts working from within the fallen world, from within this mess. And what does he do eventually? It, almost the first few chapters of Genesis, you kind of get the sense that they're skipping over stuff. Let's just get to Abraham. Let's just get to this place, Genesis 12. Why? What's the, what's, what's the big deal with Abraham? Because God picks one family and says, I'm making a covenant with you and you're going to be my people and I will be your God. And that sentence is the core of covenant. Remember we talked about this last week. You will be my people. I will be your God. Now, question. The fact that God made covenant with Abraham, was that an act of grace or an act of Abraham earning it and impressing God? It's an act of grace. It's God saying, I'm choosing you just because you're messed up like everyone else is messed up, but I, I'm going to use you and I'm going to make this family something and I'm going to use you to bless all nations. And then you fast forward down the years and Abraham's descendants get stuck as slaves in Egypt. And God speaks out of the burning bush to Moses. You remember the flannel graph of this? You know, okay? and, and he says to Moses, he says, I've heard the cries of my people. He does, this is not God with like a bleeding heart thing. This is not God saying, oh, I've heard the cries of those people. This is God saying, I've heard the cries of my people. So why are they his people? Because they're the descendants of Abraham. And, and Abraham's the one that he has covenant with. So... So because they're Abraham's descendants, he saves them. So is, is saving them out of Egypt an act of earning it and works and law, or is it an act of grace? It's an act of grace. My gosh, and we're only in Exodus. You mean there's grace in the Old Testament? Yes. And so here it is. And then after they get saved, what does he give them? A law. And so we said this last week, we said, look, the law was never how you became the people of God. It was always how you live since you have become the people of God. That even in the Old Testament, the intention was not to, hey, you follow these ten rules and then you get to be my people. No, no, no. It's because you are my people, you live this way. Much in the same way that you parents tell your kids, hey, you're my boy and because you're my boy, you, you know, You'll sit down. And that's, how, can, how come you can say that to your son and not, you can't say that to my son? Because he's your kid. You can give rules to the people who are your people. If they belong to you, you can tell them how to live. God gives them a law because they're already his people. Covenant is grace. Salvation is grace. Law is how you live. You say, well, okay, so what, what, what changed then? What's the new, new covenant thing? 
The new covenant is this renewal of the old covenant. We talked about how it's not like this totally disconnected thing. And so I want to give you a quick list as a re- as, by way of recap from last week. The new covenant is, first of all, fulfilled in Jesus. Here's Jesus, the descendant of whom? Abraham. Here he is, an Israelite. And Jesus is coming down and saying, okay, look, Israel, you could never keep covenant back with Yahweh. You could never keep covenant faithfully with God. In fact, if, if you've ever ventured into those strange and somewhat bizarre pro- prophetic books like Ezekiel and Hosea, you'll understand that God likes this marriage metaphor quite a bit. And he talks about Israel being unfaithful and like a harlot, you know, which is an old word for, you know, what, you know, the prostitute. And so, and so, and he it somehow just sounds better when we say harlot instead of prostitute. But he accuses them of this unfaithfulness. And what he's saying is, you could never keep covenant back with me. You just couldn't do it. And so Jesus comes and says, I'll do it. I'll be the faithful Israelite that keeps covenant fully back. So it's fulfilled in Jesus. Secondly, it's widened to include the Gentiles. And 95, 99% of us say, hallelujah. That because of Jesus, it's widened to now include the Gentiles. And if you're trying to connect the dots, what was the original covenant with Abraham? That he would be a blessing to all nations. But Israel couldn't do it, right? They got kind of mired in their own stuff and their own junk. And Jesus says, I'll be the descendant of Abraham that fulfills this. And in me, all nations will be blessed. Now whoever is in Christ, there is no longer Jew or Gentile. We're all one new man, Paul says in Ephesians. This is amazing, right? It's widened to include Gentiles. Thirdly, it's internalized now. It was always meant to be written on their heart. The, the, the good teachers in the Old Testament kind of anticipated this. Write it on my heart. I've hidden your law in my heart. But now Jesus leaves no doubt about it. This is supposed to come from the inside out. Now our obedience and now the way we live is not just external pressure and do this or you get stoned. No, now the way we live is from the inside out. How, you say? Because now we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Number four. Now we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so here all of a sudden, where else there was a law that was still part of this, this grace kind of thing in the Old Testament, there was still no means to actually obey it, right? Okay, good to know how God wants us to live, but could they actually do it? No. But now, because of the Holy Spirit, and today, this Sunday of all Sundays, Pentecost Sunday, where we celebrate the giving of the Holy Spirit that now empowers us to actually live this out. Isn't that beautiful? Now, that's, a, that's a unity of the Scripture. You say, okay, well, Glenn, okay, hang on, though. How come there are certain laws that no longer apply? You see this point, number two, that says, widen to include Gentiles? Think about this. What were the things that are no longer relevant or no longer applicable? What parts of the laws? Well, isn't there a bit that Paul says about circumcision? We don't need to worry about that. Yes, okay. Galatians you know, mentions that a lot. And isn't there some bit about that we don't have to worry about the dietary restrictions, that we can eat bacon and pork? Yes, that's in there in Acts, and Peter gets this vision. Okay, great. And, and isn't there something about how Jesus like, would, would, would heal people on the Sabbath and stuff, something about holy days? Yes. So what's the commonality between all three of those things? Those three things are markers, identifiers that made someone uniquely Jewish. But if in Jesus this is open to include Gentiles, do we want anything that singles people out as Jewish? No. Why? Because we're one. We're one new man. Are you catching this? So the reason why it doesn't matter now about dietary stuff and the reason now it doesn't matter now about circumcision and the reason now why it doesn't matter now about 
uh, uh, specific holy days, not the concept of the Sabbath, but the specific day, why do you think they emphasize that these things don't matter anymore? Imagine Paul and Peter leading congregations that were half Jewish and half Gentile. And they were trying to say, look, look guys, I know it's been your deal for like a couple thousand years, but these guys are in now. And they're like, I don't know, we were the first. That's true, you're the first, but these guys are now in. I don't know, we still don't eat pork. He doesn't care if you eat pork anymore. I don't know. And you see what he's trying to do? He's trying to say, look, no more distinguishing between Jew versus Gentile. In fact, Paul flat out says it. In Christ, there is no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. We're all one in Christ. So when someone asks you, hey, how come you guys still believe that homosexuality is wrong, but you don't think it's wrong to eat shellfish? You can say because the shellfish thing had to do with being distinguishing between Jew versus Gentile. That, those are the bits of the law that Paul and Jesus and Peter find a way to dismiss. Not because, oh, we're not under the law. I'll throw the law away and God doesn't really care and He knows my heart. And if I sense that God's telling me I can move in with my girlfriend, then it's okay, right? No. <laughs> so... There is a particular way that God means for us to live. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we do it. So when we talk about this subject, tithing and giving to God and all this stuff, I'm zooming us out in this conversation so that we don't say, oh, well, brother, that's Old Testament and I'm not under the law. That's true. But if you're under the law of the Spirit, this new law, that means we become generous people. We become people that give and give to God and give to one another and do things like the freely give, freely receive thing where we bless and and help one another. Amen? In short, we live in a particular way because we've become the people of God. We, We tithe, we give, we do certain things because we've become the people of God. Now, you texted and emailed and, 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 and uh, dropped in your different questions and stuff like that. And I, I, I looked over a bunch of them and we found Pastor Brady and we sat down and we looked at the three or four kind of big ones that were repeated. And you can imagine there were several that were repeated. And I want to say this before I start answering this. The bulk of what, the bulk of what I've said up until this point, you can take as big picture, this is, tr- you know, we, we believe this from Scripture, all this stuff. As I respond to your questions, I want you to know that what I'm saying to you is not, okay, this is like, you know, 100% clear in the Bible, and it's a law, and if you don't do this, you're in sin. That's not what I'm saying, okay? So know that. You're off the hook tonight. I'm not trying to beat you over the head with something and say, you owe me this, and you got, you know, no. I'm going to try to responsibly use Scripture to answer your questions, but that by no means, this is an, a responsible interpretation of, of the text, okay? So as I answer this, know that, so that you're not saying... You know, the Nicene Creed is the creed. The creed is the creed. That's what we hold with closed hands. There's a lot of other things that we're like, well, here's what we think, and here's our responsible opinion, interpretation, you know, but here's how we're wrestling with it, okay? So wrestle with me in this, would you? Okay, as we go through these questions. You cool with that? You good with that? All right. Exhale, everybody. We're not going to take an offering up again at the end of the service, you know, just everybody relax, okay? Um, one of the first question, can I earn miles on my tithes? <laughs> I, I like that. It's creative, you know. <laughs> creative, giving to God and then saving up for a vacation. I, I, uh, you know, I think as a concept, sounds fine. Um, I think function, functionally, if you've ever run a business 
uh, where you've, you've been the merchant and you're selling stuff and people use, buy, you, you use a credit card, guess who pays for the miles reward? <laughs> I do. If I'm the small business owner and you run a credit card to you know, buy stuff, guess who's giving you your 2% cash back or whatever? Me. Thank you very much. So, you know, I don't know. I'm just saying, if you, you know, tithe with your miles credit card, you get miles, you might want to tack on 0.03% or something like that. I, however you figure it, you know, what, I, I'm just messing, okay? It was just a funny question. I thought, wow, that's creative. Okay. On to some more serious questions. How do I start tithing? Good question. How do I start? What if I've never done this before? What if I'm just kind of new? And, and uh, well, you know, what do I do? Proverbs 16.3 says this. says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. I think it's easy for us to kind of imagine that our worship is about our emotion, and, and my money is my money, you know? And so I, I think a good place to start is just to at least uh, confess before the Lord to say, God, I commit to you everything that I have, that that even this money is yours, that it's not just, uh, it's not, my worship to you is not just my emotions and my affections and all those unquantifiable intangibles, you know, but, my, but everything belongs to you. Isn't that a good thing to say, to say, God, you know what, everything I have belongs to you. I, I, I think it's a good practice when you buy something new. I grew up this way, every time we'd buy like a, you know, anything new. In fact, when uh, my dad would come, my parents would come to visit and, you know, I'd just gotten my first car or whatever, and it was this total junker, you know, but he's like, Glenn, let's dedicate this to the Lord. And I'm like, dedicate this to the Lord, you know? This thing's almost dedicated to the junkyard, but okay, we'll dedicate, you know? But there's something powerful about that, about remembering everything that you have belongs to the Lord. And so I think there's a, again, if this is a heart thing, then we start with the heart. We start with the heart, and we say, God, I commit this to you. This belongs to you. Uh, secondly, Proverbs 16.9, you know, goes on in that chapter and says, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps, and we know that's the Lord who guides us, and there's room for you know, unexpected things or whatever. But I think, so in our heart we commit, and I think, I think the next kind of step, if you've never been a person that's been a percentage giver, maybe let's say it that way instead of that, that T word, you know, a percentage giver, uh, I, I think one of the things that that helps, what it helps with is it helps you sit down and make a budget. To, to not sort of say, well, hey, how much is left in the checking account, and here's what's left in my checkbook, or, you know, I just keep spending until it's gone, you know, kind of thing. And I used to do that my first job, you know, I was like, well, what do I got left? Okay, we're going to the movies tonight, you know. And it's sort of, you just kind of go until it's gone. And, and sometimes you do that because you have to, and I get that. But I think there's a better way to, to, to say, okay, if I'm going to start by being a percentage giver, then I'm going to make a budget, and I'm going to, 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 to plan, okay, how are we going to do this, and, and how can we follow this, and and. and what it does is it helps you decide to spend less than you make. Interestingly enough, built into the concept of setting aside a percentage for God uh, is it's, you know, like the little kid video we just watched. You know, there's something about that where it says, oh, you mean I don't get to spend all of this check. And that, you'd be surprised, that discipline in and of itself helps you use that discipline in just budgeting in general. Uh, typically, if you're sort of, eh, you know, whatever, we're just going to kind of do it, this way, you know, then, it, then it becomes harder. But if you said, you know what, we're going to just start. And maybe where you're at, you'll say, you know what, all I can set aside right now is X percentage. Okay, well, set that aside. Do that. And then live with, see if you can live with the rest of that. Okay, what if I'm in debt up to my eyeballs? Nobody really phrased it like that, but I just thought it's, you know, maybe how some people feel. What if I'm in debt up to my eyeballs? And uh, America in debt is a... Um, 
Interesting thing, isn't it? Our country and debt. I mean, we've, we can talk about national debt, but we can talk about ourselves. We can talk about consumer debt. And, and since this is a series about our hearts, this may not apply to, to many of you. Many of you may say, you know what? My debt is because of an unforeseen illness, and my debt was because of a medical emergency, or my debt was because of a loss of a job. I, and I, I, you know, I get that. That happens. Sometimes we get in debt for other reasons. Sometimes we get in debt because it's difficult to control what we want. And, uh, and we, we subliminally sort of buy into this lie of, you know, if I want more adventure in my life, I need that or I need this. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a, a Jeep Wrangler commercial, you know, that's like, you know, forget the TV, forget this or that, buy a Wrangler. I'm like, wow, hot, you know, and the whole cell was, if you're bored with life, you don't need a video game, you need a Jeep, you know. Like, wow, they just took your disposable income purchase from like, you know, whatever, a few hundred bucks for a TV to a couple, several thousand dollars on a Jeep. How did they equate those things? So in your mind, you're like, nah, I'll pass on the TV. Let's get a Jeep, you know? Like, wow, really? You know, really? And I, and I think those, those kinds of lies are, are, are sold, served up to us every day, you know? That you need this, and this is what's going to make you happy, and this is, you know, uh, uh, th- this is what God wants for you, you know? Kind of that idea, like, well, doesn't God want me to be happy? And, and I'm going to buy this Lexus in faith that God's going to bless me. You know, like, that's not faith. Um, just call it out right now. That's not faith. Uh, you know, and, and, I, and I think the other thing that, that I remember as a younger man, I'm still a young man now, but even in the beginning stages of earning and figuring out what to do with a paycheck, I think I had this assumption that, well, won't I always make at least this much? Isn't it just going to go, isn't the graph of my income going to go up and to the right, you know? I mean, is it just, that's just the way, right? I mean, and you have this sort of, yeah, you take it for granted. And when you've lived longer than I have, you're all smiling at me and laughing. You're like, you're all right. Nothing's a given, right? And, uh, and so there's something about, okay, over-leveraging. And I, you know, we have, there, there's different situations where a lot of us have gotten caught over leveraging because of because of this stuff. So here's Proverbs 22:7 that I think is a uh, just a powerful statement. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. You think you own something, but when you're paying something off, it's like guess who really owns you, you know? And I can to be to be frank with you about the church. Um, five years ago, or so we took on a massive uh, debt note to build that new sanctuary. And we can say, oh, well, we shouldn't have done this, or should, you know, whatever. We can say whatever you want, but the fact is, here we are. We're in that situation, and I know the things that we can't do because of that. I know the things that we wish we could do, but I know what our debt service payment is. Uh, in 2009, you know, we gave 22% of our money away to missions and things like that, but we spent 14% of our church's income paying off debt. Now, that kind of stinks. In retrospect, you think, well, maybe we shouldn't, you know, whatever, but... Here's what's interesting. Most Americans, many, I think there's a, there's a study that came out that said most Americans pay more in interest than they, than they give away in charitable giving. They're like, wow, interest. You know, you ever think about that? You know, like how long you're exposed to a certain interest rate or whatever and that kind of thing. And you think, well, how much am I giving away to someone else? And so, okay, so what about this in, in God? You know, do I pay off all my debt before I give to God? I mean, how does this work? I think you have to be careful with this. There's not, a, there's not a, a clear cut like, hey, you know, this is how it ought to be. And everybody's situation is unique, so it's hard to give kind of this blanket uh, answer. 
But I think it's very easy to sort of stay in the place where you are and say, well, we're just stuck and we're just tight and so we can't even begin to do this and this and this and this. And it's good to sort of have a plan. I mean, there are seasons in life when you say, you know what, we can't afford to do this right now. This is just, we, everything that we're, we're, we've got is going off to, to make payments. Okay, all right. Can you get out of some of those obligations? Okay, maybe, maybe not. Okay, what's the plan to sort of move out? And there's got to be some sort of a long-range plan that says, it's not, it's not the first I'll get out of debt, then I'll give to God plan. It's the simultaneous plan. It's how can I start, maybe I'll start with a 1%. Maybe I'll start with X amount of dollars. I can manage that. And then you, and, and, and then you have this plan for the debt too, so that, that it kind of works together. All right. Um, and, and, and by the way, we do have this thing here, the Dave Ramsey thing, the Financial Peace University. We've actually had over 100 couples go through it. Uh, actually, hundreds of couples have gone through it. Um, and there's another one that starts up in August. If you're like, well, what is that? You know, Financial Peace University. They sit down with you and go over your stuff and, and help, you know, uh, you know, counsel you through it and help you make a plan. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm not a financial planner. I'm not going to give you the plan. Um, all I'm saying to you tonight is when it's debt or God or whatever, you know, have a plan. And, and people like, like the, the Dave Ramsey team and their, their coaches and all that can, are just some of the people that can help you get, get a plan together. But we offer that here at New Life, and that starts again in August. Okay, I saved the biggest question for the end because this is the one that everybody wants to know. What is it? Is the local church the storehouse? What's the storehouse? What's that? I mean, who talks like that anymore? See, honey, you've got to swing by the storehouse. You know, like, what? We don't talk like that. What is the storehouse? And, and, and how should money be spent? And is it right that the money goes to salaries or whatever? You know, and how, how, what biblical basis is there for this? Are we making this up? Is this an invention of the modern American church? You know, everyone loves to throw stones at the modern American church. So, so I think there's this thing of like, oh, it's an institution and, you know, and all this stuff. Well, here's an interesting thought. The storehouse idea is found in Deuteronomy, and, and it's part of God's instructions to them as they're moving into the land. And he gives them some pretty detailed instructions. Not all of them are do not murder. Some of them are very practical about how they're supposed to live and live best. And so they set up this thing called storehouses, and they do it regionally. They do it by location. In the Old Testament, um, storehouses were regional locations, and if you lived in this certain region, that's where you gave. That's where you, put your, you brought literally the first of your crops and things like that, and you set it aside in the storehouse. And you say, okay, well, that literally means that. And, I, and if you look up the Hebrew for storehouse, it literally means a house where you store stuff. Okay, so it's a storehouse. And it was regional all around the country so that, so that no one could say, well, you know, occasionally someone would say, you know what, I live too far away, I can't make it to that storehouse. And this is my favorite uh, clause of exception in the Deuteronomy thing. It was like, if, it seriously says this, if you live too far away from the storehouse, just call all your neighbors and have a party and you can eat that together. You know, it's like, cool. You know, anyway, just thought that was interesting. Um, how was the money spent? How, what, what happened with the stuff in the storehouses? Well, two, two big things. The money or the food or the grain was given to the Levites and the priests uh, so that they could live off of that. So in other words, the ones who were ministering in the temple and tabernacle and all this stuff, they didn't get to farm. They didn't get to have their own land. They didn't get to own stuff. They lived off of what people brought to them. So you're thinking, oh, wait a second, I see maybe where this is going. Yeah. Uh, it was also used for the widow and the poor or the foreigner. If there's ever someone who, was, who, who, who uh, you know, had kind of been homeless and, 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 and uh, a refugee from another country and they're living in Israel, they could live off of this stuff. So, okay, that's cool. So what happens in the New, New Testament? A couple of interesting observations. First of all, 
when they gave in the New Testament, they brought their stuff, they brought it to the church leaders. Acts 4, 32-35, all the believers were in one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of these possessions were his own, but they shared everything. And then it says, okay, look, um, verse 35, and they, they sold money from stuff, and then they put it at the apostles' feet so that those guys could distribute it. 1 Corinthians 16, here's Paul saying, look, about the collection for, for you know, the, the church in Jerusalem, do what I told Galatian churches to do. In the first day of every week, each of you set aside money in keeping with his income, save it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. It's already there. So, all right, so, so it sort of, sort of seems like a storehouse by different cities, by different regions. They kind of brought this money together, let the church leaders kind of, okay, and what did they do with it? What are they supposed to do with it? The clearest uh, picture of this is, is, is two sections, two places. First Timothy 5, which was our New Testament reading for the night. Paul says, okay, look, and he goes to, if you, if you ever sit down and, and, and read First Timothy 5, it's a fascinating chapter because I remember reading it with a, with a couple of the school worship guys, and I had just been kind of going through this mental rant about how, like, you know, oh, man, why do we have to think about management and systems and structures and programs and church and all this stuff? And we're sitting down as, as a bunch of dudes reading our Bibles together, and we come to 1 Timothy 5, and here's Paul, like, basically describing a whole system and a whole program. And he's like, okay, these widows, cool, these widows, ask their families to take care of them, these widows, let them get remarried, you know? And you're like, gee, that's a bit, like, that's like a program, you know? It's like a, a form for benevolence or something, you know? I mean, they had, like, criteria and stuff like that. Yeah. Also in 1 Timothy 5 is where Paul says, okay, look, uh, okay, so we'll just read this again. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her family, she should help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. So we want to we be the best stewards of what we got. And the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially... Okay, so he's saying basically, look, here's what we're going to do with the, the, the money, the stuff. We're going to give to the needy and we're going to take care of the ones who run the church, particularly the ones who teach. And I'm not saying that because I teach. Just whatever. Okay. Okay. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, though, here's an interesting one. Here's Paul kind of saying, look, I could be taken, but I'm not. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in what's offered in the altar? What's Paul referring back to here? The Old Testament stuff, right? Who's he, who's he drawing a parallel with? Levites, priests. So he's kind of saying, look, the, the, the pastors, the elders, the apostles, these guys are kind of, he's drawing this analog. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So, okay, great. But Glenn, this is 2010, okay? This is not first century stuff. We've got all these ministries. We've got, you know, great ministries all in this city. We've got missionaries. We've got people that we love. And, and uh, is it okay to tithe to them? And here's where I want to stress again. I'm, I'm not the one to tell you whether something's okay or not, all right? I'm not your judge. Uh, and it's, 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 it's something that is a conviction. Paul says, look, don't give out of obligation. Give as you're led, as the Lord's leading you and all this stuff. But here's a way that I've learned and am learning to think about this. Our kids are getting to the age where they can start to do some chores and responsibilities and things like that. Sophia's five, and we're trying to say, okay, look, and we're trying to disconnect in her mind allowances and chores. You know, for us, allowances are allowances. You get an allowance just because, you know, mom and dad will share a dollar with you, you know? You get, you get that because you're our kid. On the flip side, chores are chores. You're not, you're not earning your dollar by doing chores. Chores are just, everybody does chores. Nobody pays me for doing the dishes, you know? Nobody pays Holly for getting up in the middle of the night, you know? This is what we do. We're a family, okay? Nobody's saying, oh, good, how many hours did you log this week? Great, you know? Just, okay, so we're trying to train our kids to think the same way. 
An allowance is partaking of the blessing of being part of our fa the Pakim family. And a chore is embracing the responsibility of being in the Pakim family. Does that make sense? And I think tithing, I think it's helpful to think of it that way. Look, you, we receive the benefit of being part of the New Life family, right? We get to meet in this place. We've got a great team that does this, and we've got small groups. You know, we've got stuff that helps us, and we appreciate it, and we're grateful for it. And we, we, we've got lots of resources that we're able, able to leverage because we're a large family. But we've also got responsibilities in the family, and everybody's got to sort of pull their weight. And so I, I think there's something about maybe distinguishing between a tithe and the offering. And you could say, well... Give as much as you want away. Give it. Give it to the poor. You know, give it to this. We, we, give, we support missionaries. We, we sponsor kids, a couple of kids. And there's stuff that we do that's above and beyond. But what we're saying is, how about we decide on this percentage? And for us, that percentage is 10. And we say, that, that percentage is what's going to New Life Church because this is our family. This is our church family. I think there's something, to be honest, if I can be a, a little bit bold tonight... I think there's something disingenuous about saying, this is my family, and hey, aren't you going to help me and all this stuff? And it's like, but I don't, I, I really, I support this minister over here, or I, I give to this guy's ministry. I give, you know, and it's like, hmm, okay. So it's, we're family when it's convenient for you then. So we're family when you need something from us then. Okay. I mean, all right. I mean, let's just be, let's just be honest about it then. Let's just say it that way. You know, we're family when I need something. When I, you know, and I think, I think, the, 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 when we looked at the stuff and, and said, you know what, 30% of people who go to New Life give anything at all. Now, say, okay, well, great. Maybe there's a huge percentage, maybe 70% of our people are experiencing bankruptcy and it's awful and we really need to be praying harder and counting. You know, maybe that's the case. But maybe a lot of our people just sort of feel like, hey, this is a big church, right? You guys don't need anything, right? I'll just come here and I'll just do my thing and then I'll just support, you know, so-and-so and I'll give to this and I'll give to that. And you guys are good, right? And I want to challenge that tonight, okay? Can I, Can I challenge that a bit? Because if we're going to say that we're together, then let's pitch in together. Let's do this together. Let's put this, and I, you know, you, the percentage, the amount, you, you figure that out in your heart with the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit lead you, whatever. But let's be this together. And what if we really did pitch in together? What could we do? What could we do beyond ourselves, beyond, the, look, we got the stuff, you know, we're, we're making it week to week. The, the, the whole thing about, I told you a couple weeks ago about New Life joining the ECFA, you know, this evangelical financial accountability thing, you know. That was, a, that was a process for us to go through and, and, and to, to give paper, do paperwork and invite audits and all this stuff and to say, okay, we're in. You know, that's the highest level of accountability a Christian ministry or church could be part of. And we're part of that. And you can go to their website, look up New Life, and you can find out stuff you want to find out about. We're not you know, concealing stuff or whatever. So we're doing our best to be responsible stewards. What we're asking is that can we be this family together and not only can we, you know, take care of the people who, you know, whatever, work here and all that, but we can start going outwards with it and doing stuff. This freely give, freely receive thing, I think, was a beautiful picture of that. We literally were a storehouse the last two weekends. The first weekend, 92 families came and got stuff. 92 families. First, last weekend. There was this, this mom who came up and she's like, you know what, we just love to have a microwave, you know, and just don't, you know. And they said, you know what, we've got a microwave. And they give it to her, and she's got her arms wrapped around it, and she's crying. She can't believe it. she's got a microwave. Several weeks ago when Pastor Brady announced that he mistakenly said, bring perishable foods, he meant to say non-perishable, he said perishable. So this lady shows up with like a trunk 
full of groceries, you know. And so the, the volunteers are like, huh, okay. Uh, and as they're trying to figure out what to do, this other lady comes in and says, I just you know, lost my job. And really, we just don't even have any groceries right now. It's like, ding, 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 ding. It's like the matching game, you know. Ooh, there was a, a beach ball over here. And, a, you know, and, and, and they, they connected them. And, uh, sorry, kids' games. Um, and, they, and they connected them to one another. And this lady went over to her house, drove her over to her house, and unloaded all these groceries and gave it to this woman. She's like, wow, this is amazing, and all this stuff. And she said, you know, I'm just, I'm also, I'm out of a job, too. And she said, well, what do you do? She said, well, I'm, I clean houses. I've been looking for someone to hire to be our house cleaner. She hires her. Gets a job. You know, you couldn't script this stuff. Have Pastor Brady say perishable food. You know, you just can't. <laughs> I just saw Matthew Ayers in the lobby on, before the service began. You know, he's in charge of this whole event. So 92 families last week. I said, how was it this weekend? You know, they just finished over there at the parking lot. And he said, Glenn, we helped over 270 families this weekend alone. Whoa! We tripled it. Tripled it. Something tells me that's a picture of how this works. We give. Others are blessed. All of a sudden, there's more to give than we give, and then others get blessed. We're like, man, where's this stuff come from? I don't know, but keep it coming. Let's be that family together, all right? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that we've become the people of God. Thank you that we're in covenant relationship with you. You're faithful to us. So faithful to us. God, we want to be your body on the earth. We want to be that, uh, uh, you know, the carriers of that to our city. And uh, Lord, whether we, we, you know, some of us may be in, um, in tight positions, some of us may be in plenty, and it really, it doesn't matter. The bottom line is we want our hearts to be yours. And we want that to show up in the way that we care for one another and belong together as your family. But we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.